Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Hour 2. I'm Peter Kapsner, hosting for the day for Carmen LaBerge, who's away at a conference. And we're joined at this time in studio, as we always are on Wednesday morning, by Bill English, good friend of the program. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. How are you doing today? Well, I was doing better a second ago, but you literally walked across I the did. studio without I my did. permission and shut the shade where the sun was just shining in as a great way to start the day. It was, but it was bouncing off your head, and it was really <laughs> glaring in my eyes. Understandably. Yeah, the, the wax <laughs> bald head is not great for, for that idea. So, yeah, but, you I haven't shaved that in a while either. You know, I you? haven't. It's been about five or six days, so I'm going to have yeah. to go go take care of that. He's got but, a nice um, stubble there, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> can't grow stubble on my face, but I, and I can't grow it on my head really either. So, yeah, I get it. Well, it's good to see you again. Good We've been talking a, a little bit, and obviously you and I are going to talk a little bit about the economics in our country. But uh, Paul and I were talking quite a bit about the economics within Jesus' kingdom. And he has some pretty interesting math about what it means to really find a sense of life and wholeness and peace. And so we've been rallying around this passage from Matthew 16 this morning where Jesus says these words, that if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then here's the algebra that I find just terribly fascinating but difficult to walk in, where he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? And we're talking a lot about the difference Something that my wife, Hallie, had said this past week that I've been sitting with all week, which is the difference between life as source and life as gift. And and as soon as we start looking at our money or as soon as we start looking at our circumstances and our relationships as source, it ends up to be kind of an anxiety creating reality. But as soon as we see them as gift, our hands begin to open up a little bit and that's not always easy to do. It's not a, Jesus is right with the algebra. You, you find peace in those places, but it is counterintuitive on every level. Yeah, it's, a, it's really two different lives. The life of the spiritual that will result in an eternal life is yeah. a different life than the life that we have here on this earth, even though we experience them together and kind of the same. And so uh, you, your soul is worth more than anything you own. Mm. Right. Right. Absolutely. And and we lose that. We forget that. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> because I'm, you know, I need to save for my 401k for my retirement. Right. Right. And I need to do this and I need to do that. And I need to invest in all these things. And, and yet God says, well, wait a minute, your soul is more, much more important than anything else, because in the end, all you have on your deathbed in the last few mm. minutes, the only, before you die, the only thing that will matter is what you did with Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. and, and Nothing those, else matters. And, and that place of death is such the great revealer of the falsity of life in terms of it all is. of those things that are transient and temporary that we maybe understandably give our time, energy, and devotion to. But at the end of the day, this world is not our home. We have to find our actual true home. And if we try to make our home here on this earth, we're going to be lost. I mean, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. And the lost are simply 
especially those who don't know their way home anymore and what their actual home is. You know, a great illustration of this is Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. You know, he's got stage four cancer. He was given the Medal of Freedom by the president at the last State of the Union address. And yet I promise you when he's on his deathbed, mm. and he will be pretty soon right. if he isn't already, right. uh, when he's on his deathbed, that medal won't matter. Mm. The two or 400 stations or 600 stations he was on all these years won't matter. Yeah. The $25 million a year he made won't matter. None of it will matter. And I'm just hoping that he's turning his life to Jesus Christ before he dies. Yeah. Well, that's the voice of Bill English. He joins us every Wednesday here on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll take that perspective of God's kingdom and apply it to some of these difficult situations in our world, including the coronavirus and the impact that it's having on the stock market. Oh, yeah. Paul was just going and quoting some of that Back to the Future. Oh, I mean, you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? I mean, it takes me right back to my late my late teens when that movie Peter came out. Michael J. Fox. Style. Indeed, indeed. Well, you've already heard the voice of Bill English here this morning in Mornings with Carmen. I'm going to try to bring us back to the rails of the track that we're clearly There's off no of track. at this point uh, no in time. Bill, I would love to get your take on sort of yeah. the economic impact of the coronavirus. I admit when the virus first came out, I thought it was a bit of a sensationalized news kind of idea that, you know, the news always needs something to talk about 24-7. And so it's hard to discern sometimes those things that actually matter versus those things that have been hyped up. But I got to admit, I'm a bit of a slow convert, but a convert I'm becoming to the idea that this really is going to be a, an ongoing global situation. It's going to be an ongoing goal. However you said that, <laughs> right. I, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> those words this early in the morning. Uh, yeah, I still think it's overhyped, but they're saying that 3.4% die of the virus, Yeah, uh, whereas it's just 0.01% die of a normal flu. Problem is, I think that 3.4% might be skewed a little bit on, on the severity curve, kind of le- leptocurtic, I think, if you remember that from your statistic days. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you yes, don't remember leptocurtic and mesocurtic? You right. don't remember those? But what it sounds like to me is maybe we have a bunch of underreported cases, and so yes. maybe the, the death rate is simply related to the fact that a lot of people have the virus but haven't reported it or don't know it just yet. Right, and so they're only reporting the really severe, right. severe cases, and that's why the percentage is higher. Having said that, it is a real thing. It has shut down China. There's global supply chain problems. You're experiencing this in your business that you own. And uh, and when when you don't have a good supply chain, you have to either cut back production and you're not going to be able to sell as many widgets. And as a result, your your um, revenue gets suppressed and then you end up having to make cuts either in uh, payroll or cuts right. in purchasing or cuts throughout the business in order to stay profitable and uh, and banks get worried about that kind of thing so this this coronavirus really is connected to our entire economy in one way or another. Yeah, it really is. I know in my business, we have suppliers in different regions in China, maybe four to five of them, and, and some of them are up and running. But uh, certainly, again, the sort of verified the news broadcast for me is when I would connect with some of our uh, liaisons over there, and they said it was just a ghost town. I mean, towns entirely shut down, people yeah. terrified to come back to work, and people were not out in the streets. I talked to a friend of mine as well who married a girl from China, and, and in her hometown and, and some of the places she knows, again, 
it's empty there and, and it's slowly starting to come back, but now it's beginning to pop up around the world. And so I think that some of the fear associated with this is the economic fear that we've seen represented in the stock market over the past, I don't know, week or so. I don't follow these things terribly closely, but these were some pretty huge drops that I were reminiscent a little bit of 2008 and 9 when the crash happened and these things were just plummeting in ways that we hadn't seen before. Well, markets need certainty in order to be stable. And they rely on the right information at the right time in order to be stable. Mm -hmm. And so when they have new information that comes at them that is of of this kind of severity, you'll see them start to price in that information. And that's what the market's been doing for the last week and a half, really. They've been pricing in uh, this, uh, this coronavirus and its effect on the global supply chain and its effect on Europe as well. Yeah. And, you know, this thing is now in, gosh, last time I saw, was like 55 countries. And I think the big hotspot in the next 30 to 60 days will be Africa. Yeah, I think it's just going to spread throughout Africa, something fierce. And they are pricing it in. And so those stocks, those companies that do a lot of business in China or have a lot of their supply chain in Asia, uh, they are devaluing their stocks because they're assuming that the companies are not going to perform as well. And so that's really what is happening here. And we certainly see it in a company as well known as Apple. Many of our yes. listeners will probably know of Apple computers and the Apple iPhone and, and the iPads and all of that. And they're coming out and saying that they are seeing a significant impact from all of this. Well, you know, most people don't know that China is actually Apple's largest market. Yeah. One out of every five phones that Apple sells, it sells to Chinese in China. And uh, they have, they create over there, uh, 70% of all the iPhones that are manufactured for Apple are manufactured in China. And so they have, they have these mega um, factories where they employ a quarter million or more people in a single factory, which, you know, yeah. is just hard. To, uh, it is hard to believe. Hard yeah. to, it's hard a major U.S. city in a factory sort of thing. Well, yeah. You know, I go to the Indianapolis 500 where they put in 400,000 people in a single day sporting event, right? Yeah, yeah. And you imagine that every day that number of people go to a factory to produce something. It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, so most of their products are assembled in China. And Apple has already warned their investors like Microsoft. You know, Microsoft, 20% of their sales is in China, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Apple warned their investors they won't meet sales estimates. Market cap has dropped over $100 billion. This thing, this coronavirus, even if it is overhyped, Right. Or even if it's not overhyped, and this is all the worse it's going to get, it has really negatively affected our stock market. And, and to your point here in terms of life in China and just the sheer number of people, again, yeah. I know some of the firsthand accounts of just sort of a standard way in life in China. If you try to get on a subway, if you try to get on an elevator, it's assumed even socially that you have to elbow and push and shove your way into these places. And nobody takes offense to it, but there's such a mass number of people that are trying to just get places. And so you see something like the coronavirus, which is highly transmittable yeah. uh, on so many different levels. You can see why it became an epidemic, just given how China is in terms of its sheer size and population base. And depending upon the quality of the information that they got at the grassroots right. in China, you know, you don't know. But it certainly has shut down a number of, of factories and a number of towns. And, and you and I both seen the news reports about that. Absolutely. That's the voice of Bill English. When we come back, Bill, let's talk a little bit about what we can do and how we respond in these times. Is this something systemic and we need to do something different maybe with our finances as people are listening and maybe experiencing some of the fear or also taken back to 2008-9 when our 401ks dropped by half or more? Like, what do we do moving forward in the midst of all of this? So we'll get that advice from Bill English here next on Mornings with Carmen.
Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It is about 19 minutes past the top of the hour, and we are chatting with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com about the recent drop in the stock market. And, Bill, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners right now that find themselves back in their space maybe 12 years ago. And when the stock market crashed, and we saw, obviously, 401K and retirement accounts just plummet. And it really did disrupt people's plans and ways of life oh, in, sure in some pretty dramatic ways sure because people who otherwise might have been planning on retiring were suddenly having to work for three, four, five, six years to make up for it. Do we see something similar with this coronavirus, or is this more of a transient situation, at least to the extent you understand it? Well, compared to 2008, no, we don't see that in the okay. stock market. It's not going from you know 29000 to 14000 uh, in other words, it's not going down 50%. It okay. may. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Right. Who knows? But I, I don't think it's going to do that. I think it's going to bottom out somewhere in the low 20s. Yeah. Huh? Just, that's, that, that's just me. First thing, don't panic. Just don't panic. If you are a long-term investor in the stock market, the stock market traditionally returns over a 20-year period an average of 10% a year rate of return. And there's always going to be ups and downs. So if you're in the market for more than, uh, I'm going to say, five years or more, uh, this is just a blip in the Mm -hmm. road, quite frankly. And uh, in fact, it might be a time for you to extend your positions. This, you know, you buy low, sell high kind of thing. This this might be the right time for you to go in and buy additional equities because there's some real bargains out there right now. And it, and it might be a time for you to do that. If you are a short-term investor, well, you shouldn't be in the stock market heavily anyways, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, if you're elderly, 75, you should be focusing on on uh, preservation of principle rather than, you know, trying to take these high, more highly risk-oriented investments. Um, yeah, your 401k is going to be hurt, but my advice, just stay the course. Again, uh, if, if you're, let's say you're 40 years old and you got, I don't know, let's just say 50,000 in your 401k, it's going to recover just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, even if it takes it a year to fully recover, it, it's going to be just fine. So what accounts for these tremendously volatile moves like this, where you'll be down 700 one day, a thousand the next day, and then all of a sudden up 1200 and then down 800. I mean, do you well, just the sort of it's emotional just, too. Yeah. I know? mean, you just have to ignore the noise of that and let it sort you of do. stabilize. You do. And, and the market uh, really reacted weird yesterday in the sense that the fed made a, uh, a surprise move to cut interest rates. I, I think that. it was a half a half point. A point yeah. And and the market by noon had decided we don't like this <laughs> because it presented more uncertainty. Yeah. You know, had the Fed waited their two weeks until their March FOMC meeting and then cut it there, I think the I think the market would have reacted very positively. Mm. Quite frankly. So, yeah. Do you suggest in people that are maybe dealing with sort of the loss of their 401k, at least some position within it and it's going down a little bit and maybe they're 65, 70 years old and semi-retired? Is it a good idea to have even a part time job at that point to have another sort of steady source of income? Or what do you recommend for people? Because if you're leaning entirely on your retirement positions, you know, this can be pretty scary. It can. And yeah, I always but, but just not because of this. But because of theological reasons, I think people should work until they die. Interesting. And so, yeah, if you're 65, 70, 75, I still think you ought to have some kind of productive work, whether you're getting paid or not, is 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 lesser of an issue for me from a theological perspective. But, uh, yeah, if you need money, uh, then go out and get it. Uh, if, you're re- if you're depending on your retirement and you're getting jitteries and you're in your elderly years, um, call your financial planner and ask them what you should do. But. Yeah. Well, and you talk about the theological reasons of it. I think it just calls to mind my own father, who, when he turned around 62 years old, he said, well, I could retire. 
but I've got, let's just say, a quarter of my life left, whatever it looks like. And so he asked yeah. God, you know, what what do you have for me in the last quarter of my life? And and while he sort of stepped away from vocational work to some extent, he's still involved with his business vocation. Uh, it's been fascinating to where to watch where God has taken him on behalf of the kingdom, using all of these gifts and talents that he's acquired over yeah. all these years as an experience. And, and as opposed to becoming sort of irrelevant and fading into the distance at some golf course community in Florida, it's just been amazing how uh, to watch God take this poorly educated uh, central Minnesota man who barely got himself through high school, and now he's translating the Bible throughout Africa. And God does that with us when we're willing to continue to work on behalf of the kingdom. We don't just fade into irrelevance uh, in the economy of of what God is up to. You know, Ephesians 2.10 talks about how God is uh, preparing us for work that he wants us to do in the future. Yeah. And he's preparing that work, in the, and he's in the future preparing the work for us to do it, right? Uh, and I want to pick up on a phrase you said, poorly educated. He might have been poorly educated in terms of how we have education standards. You got a Ph.D., your dad barely graduated right. high school, right? Right. But God poured into him the very things Absolutely. that he needed in order to be able to do the ministry that he's doing now. He was not poorly educated in that sense. He is God's workmanship and God created him and and worked him, and that's that's the thing. That's the thing that bothers me about elderly people retiring. They have so much to oh, give, yes. and they don't give it back because they have bought the lie that the golf course in Florida and that community, you know, the villages. Let's go live at the villages and right. let's just have a wonderful life. No. Get into a ministry and pour back into the young people what you have, because God has poured into you. It's time for you to pour back out. Yeah, when you talk about those things, Bill, it reminds me of that passage in Corinthians where God chooses the foolish things, quote-unquote, of this world to shame the wise. And I I would suggest that uh, never more mindful of that was I when I received the Ph.D., and it was this great accomplishment and all of that. Yeah, and it is a great accomplishment. Well, of course it is, but, but what I found interesting about that is it had no capacity in and of itself to tap into anything related to kingdom power. And so Correct. kingdom power comes as we are humble, as we walk in right. trust and surrender. It doesn't come from our fancy letters or our vocational success. Yes. In fact, uh, some of that education can cloud our minds and keep us from really hearing uh, the Lord and being sensitive to his spirit and being sensitive to what God is saying to us. Yeah. So in the last couple of minutes here, how would sure. you encourage people to take some steps that direction, even if they're maybe being moved this morning and say, wait a second, maybe I'm not done with life altogether here. I've got more to give on behalf of the kingdom. How do you begin to take some steps in that area? You know, I think you get on your knees and you ask God, what do you want me to do? Hmm. And and take a look over the last 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, and say, what have I really enjoyed doing? And because uh, God usually puts that enjoyment in us if he's calling us to it, normally anyways. Yeah. And, uh, and then say, now how can this be used in ministry? Go talk to your pastor, go talk to your friends, but make sure that you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and ask God to uniquely give you a ministry mm-hmm. that will bring him the glory not you. And uh, you pray that and God and be ready. <laughs> right. Be ready because God may very well call you uh, to something that you thought was unexpected. Oh, and also this, be prepared to risk yeah. because there's no significant ministry without significant risk. And if you're going to be engaged in real ministry, God's going to ask you to risk. So don't think it's going to be easy or comfortable all the time. Yeah, it certainly is a dangerous and risky, but beautiful yes. prayer to pray. Yes. I sometimes tell my students, you know, what would it be like if God was actually real? 
And if he was, how might he intersect with your life and call you to something different in, in this world? And that's really the invitation here. Yeah, that's uh, and that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's great to see you as always, Bill. Yeah, Thanks for your insight you. and wisdom. It goes so fast yeah. with you here in studio, and I just appreciate the thoughts around where we are with the economy. And, and even from a theological standpoint, it's not about money at the end of the day. It really is about how we participate with our money within God's kingdom. Exactly. Well, great stuff. We'll see you again soon. We'll now yeah. wrap up our time with Bill. And when we come back, we're going to have some pretty interesting stories to talk about related to the Middle East. And uh, Paul Pro, help me pronounce our next guest's name uh, because I don't think I quite have it right. He's from the Middle East and he's talking about the Christians in Iran and I'm You're super intrigued. You're going to put me on the spot now. Okay, I am. If I, I am. remember right, it's Parmaz Shariat. See, I just can't quite get that one right this morning. But if you're listening, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned because he is working within the Iranian Christian scene. And to see God moving in the Middle East like this is fascinating. So more to come here on Mornings with Carmen. You know, Paul, obviously with Breakpoint dealing with the coronavirus as well, it is really on the top of everybody's mind, or at least a lot of people's mind. And again, I don't know, I mentioned it to Bill just a little bit, a bit ago, the idea that I thought, uh, I think this is overhyped, but I've slowly converted the idea that this is really going to make an impact in our daily life. Yes and yes. It is overhyped. I, I, you know, we were talking yesterday, and people, the uh, podcast is available at MyFaithRadio.com. We talked yes. to Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and yeah, Mental Association, and he said, yes, it is over- overhyped, but it is a serious uh, virus because, you know, when you look at the death rate, uh, and Bill mentioned that. I mean, you look at the average flu, you know, the death rate with the flu, which is a major problem every year. It is, yeah. But the death rate is, you know, point. Five percent, something like, or point one percent of those who are afflicted. This is higher, maybe inflated, as he mentioned, but even still, it is a deadlier flu. It has been for a lot of older people. It really has been. So, with that in mind, take the appropriate precautions, but don't panic. Yeah, yeah. I see that there's already some noise coming out of the NBA. You know how much I follow basketball, but yes. even just the idea that they might have to have empty stadiums that they're playing in front mm-hmm. of, and of course, shutting down schools potentially. People telemarketing yeah. from work. You know, it's tough to... The fear is almost always worse than the actual no, reality. No telemarketing. They can telecommute. Telecommute. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. That, yes, we do not want a bunch of people calling us with advertisements here yeah, at Faith so you Radio. Went to, you want to, you know, yeah, people calling, <laughs> checking on your uh, car's warranty. We don't want that. Yeah, we definitely don't want that. Well, we'll have a good conversation coming up with our next guest here. It's Dr. Shariat, who is going to talk to us a little bit about Christianity in Iran. Mm. And it's one of the fastest growing places for Christianity in our world. And I'm fascinated by that idea of how Jesus really begins to stake out a foot print in a country that otherwise has been resistant to Christianity. So if you're listening this morning, you're not going to want to miss that interview coming up next on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. God sought you. He searched you out. Before you knew you needed adopting, he'd already filed the papers. Listen to this passage from Romans 8 and verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What's more, he covered the adoption fees. God sent him, speaking of Christ, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You see, the moment we accept his offer, we go from orphans to heirs, heirs with a new name, new home, new life, Heaven knows no stepchildren or grandchildren. You and Christ share the same will. What he inherits, you inherit. You are headed home. This is Max Lucado.
It is the 4th of March. It's about 21 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for Carmela Burge this morning and delighted to be joined at this time by Dr. Homo Shariat, who is part of a pretty interesting ministry within Iran. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to share. Yeah, so glad to have you with us here this morning. As we get started, I'd love to connect our conversation from a few minutes ago where we talked about some of the fear and some of the pervasive spread of the coronavirus. And certainly that has made an impact in Iran, has it not? In a big time, of course, the government is not revealing the true statistics, the number of people who have died or will have the virus. Uh, so it, you can't trust the government's report. But uh, the impact is very large. I, I get reports from Iran. I get clips, not just words. They send me clips of people uh, who have died, just of 70 in mm. one place, another 60 someplace. So the, uh, the number is much higher than what the government of Iran is saying. It, it is uh, a major, it's becoming a major problem for the government and people. Why for the government? Because there is a, such a distrust between the people and the government and the people are saying, you don't care for us. Hmm. Of course they don't. You know, they, they killed over 1,500 young people the last few months on the streets. So the, once again, the people of Iran are saying this government does not care for us, cannot take care of us. So this is another reason to reject the government of Iran, the Islamic government. Well, it's fascinating to hear that from a first-hand point of view. And when you talk about the Islamic government, doctor, I'd be curious your thoughts about how the Islamic faith and maybe some of the imams might be dealing with something as devastating as the coronavirus from more of a theological perspective. How do they, how do they frame what's happening in light of their religious faith? Do you hear much of that kind of conversation? Well, you know, the first day they were saying last week that it's not a big deal, you know, and uh, Allah will uh, save us. And you go, just go to these uh, mosques, you go uh, to these uh, uh, places, holy places, and you pray and you, uh, Allah will save you. But he did it. And mm. uh, sarcastically, the virus started in Qom, which is like a Vatican of Shiite Islam. So the center of Shiite Islam is the number one uh, place of the number of people who have the virus and who have been killed. And they have exported that virus from that city to all over the Middle East. People, Because it's a place people come and visit or they go from there to all the cities. So uh, it's uh, the government and the Islamic religious leaders themselves have caught the virus. Boy, it's fascinating to see a couple more thoughts on this before we turn towards sort of the Christian rise within Iran. But how does maybe the Islamic faith, how do they understand and deal with suffering in this in these places? Because I know a lot of people that I talk to and have been with and, and myself included, when difficult things happen in life, we begin to question our Christian God and even some of the foundations of our faith. Do similar things happen within the Islamic community when difficult things happen? How do they understand and process suffering in life? Uh, there has been much suffering. And the theology of Islam is this. We probably did some sin, and mm. this is Allah punishing us. That, that's theology. When things happen, and there has so much has happened in Iran. Earthquakes, the floods, uh, you know, the, just the last few months. And every time it has been, okay, let's repent. Let's, uh, it, it's because of our fault. It's because of women. That, that's the funny thing. They mm. say it's because of our women don't do their coverings. That's why Allah is punishing the whole country. 
you women, that's your fault. You didn't cover your hair well enough and that, and that you have broken the laws of Islam and it's your fault that we are under this curse. So that's the Islamic theology, that anything bad happens, number one, it's done, it's caused by Allah, just contrary to the Christianity that not, that the God is nothing, you know, God is good and nothing bad comes from the Lord. But in Islamic theology, the basic is this, any suffering, especially things like that, comes from Allah and the reason is to punish us. Mm. I think that it can get sort of subtly pervasive even in our Christian faith a bit. If, if bad things are happening to us, we sort of think, boy, we must be doing something wrong. And if we can just root out the sin, it, it is really going to bring all circumstances back together. But the reality is, is that we don't live in a world that is our home. And so we are going to experience difficulty and trial. It, it really calls to mind Jesus's profound words and invitation when he says, don't be surprised when you experience suffering in this world, but take care because I have overcome the world. And, and I would imagine as Christianity is growing in Iran right now, it's messages such as those that are pretty countercultural, but can begin to take hold. Uh, yes, and that's what uh, we do. You know, we broadcast 24-7 satellite into the Middle East in Iran. We use uh, satellite television to go over the heads of the mullahs into people's homes and share the truth of the gospel. And one of them is this, you know, God is good. No matter what, God is good. He's not the one who's after you to punish you. He's after you to save you, to forgive you. So we use that uh, media, both online and satellite television, to tell the truth of the, of the gospel. And the contrast is so much. And people of Iran, are you ready to be shocked Iran has the fastest growing evangelical mm. population in the world. Islam is experiencing its greatest defeat in its history in Iran today. Millions of Iranian Muslims have already rejected Islam and they're looking, they're saying, what else is out there? They're so open to the message of the gospel. So when we go through airwaves, through satellite television, into privacy of people's homes, we tell about God who is love, who is forgiving. It's such an attractive message to mm. them. They come to Christ by thousands because many of them are saying, we don't like that God of uh, Allah, the God of Islam. We never believe God is that cruel that they tell us and they show us in their action, in our hearts. You know, the Bible says God has written his laws on their hearts. That's what is in Iran. Mm. When I shared the gospel, the love of Christ on the air, people call and say, you know what you shared has always, always been on my heart. I never really felt comfortable with Islam and God of Al Islam, Allah. But this message you talk about, God loves us and wants us to love one another. God forgives us and wants, to for for wants us to forgive one another. That message resonates with our heart. So there is a supernatural work of God mm. in Iran, which is setting them free from the power of Islam, from the lies of Islam. Iranians are thinking, the Iranians are questioning Islam. They are, they are asking questions, they're comparing. And by the way, that's a miracle for a Muslim. The Muslims are not allowed to think and question Islam or Quran. So that bondage has been lifted up from the minds of Iranians that's why Iran has the fastest growing evangelical population in the world.
We're talking with Dr. Hormoz Shariat this morning about the rise of Christianity in the country of Iran. And when we come back from break, Doctor, I'd love to get more of your perspective and thought. I do hear about the supernatural activity of Jesus in the Islamic realm, and I'd love to get more of your thoughts on that, as well as why and how maybe, especially in the midst of persecution, so many people are open-heartedly receiving the faith. So stay with us here. More to come on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LaBerge this morning, and we're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Homo Shariat from Iran Alive Ministries. You can see some of his work at iranaliveministries.org, and we're talking about the spread of Christianity within Iran. And, Doctor, you said some things that were pretty intriguing to me before the break in the sense that you are circumventing sort of the typical media infrastructure within Iran and broadcasting the message straight into people's homes. How in the world does this work? I have no idea how you would even start doing something like that. Well, that's easy. It's a satellite (laughs) broadcast. It's not a local. It's not cable. So the signal comes from the sky, and the government cannot do anything about it. People with a dish, which is very popular in Iran, almost everybody has it in the backyard. They receive this free signal, free channel from the sky in the privacy of their homes, and uh, the government cannot stop it. They set up these towers to jam, but all they can do is jam just the neighborhood. They cannot cover the whole Hmm. country. They try to stop it, but they cannot. Well, it's certainly fascinating to hear how the gospel is getting into people's lives and into their homes. And it's not only through the work that you're doing, but I hear increasingly stories of people within Iran having visions and and actual meetings with the risen Lord, sort of like the book of Acts about those things which we read in the early Christian community. Are these verifiable kinds of events that are happening, Doctor? There are so many of them happening. And people... um, uh, people sometimes say, oh, they're making it up. No, because their life's in danger. If if they say, I've become a Christian because of a dream, no matter how you become a Christian, you're, you're going to pay a price. So, But it happens so often. So often people see the man <laughs> in the white robe. So often they get healed. Mm. They, are, they get set free from addiction. And that's why somebody comes to Christ. The, usually in Iran, the family and friends also come to Christ. That's so normal. In other Islamic countries, when somebody comes to Christ, persecution comes from friends and family uh, members, but not in Iran. The persecution comes from the, uh, from the government, but not the friends and family members. So the, number one, the, the visions, dreams, miracles happen so often that it, it cannot be, you can just say, all oh, they make, they all make it up. And the healing and the transformation. You cannot fake that. When somebody gets healed or free from addiction, the whole family notices that. You cannot fake that. The life change, you cannot fake life change. Mm. And they say, my life was changed because I had a met, met with Jesus or Jesus touched me. You know, <clears throat> let me show you this story of, of about miracles. Uh, I think this, this story kind of sums it up. How common is this? Um, I had, you know, we do live broadcasts and one of our live broadcasts, this man called and I'm trying to kind of imitate him Mm -hmm. that he he had no emotions. He was sharing testimony, but no emotions, monotone voice. He was saying, Pastor Hormoz, I had liver problem three months ago. I called you. You prayed for me. My liver was healed. My doctor told me 
I don't need surgery. I don't even need medicine. So on this side, I was excited. Oh, praise the Lord. Jesus heals. Jesus heals. Then he continued. Then I prayed for my friend who had cancer. And I prayed for his cancer. His cancer was gone. Oh, hallelujah, on my side. He, was, he had no emotions. I was excited. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He heals cancer. Then I had a family member, a relative, who had, she had tumor in her brain. And I prayed for her tumor, and the tumor was gone. Oh, Jesus heals tumors. Praise God. So after a few minutes of, uh, minutes of him sharing all these testimonies with no emotions, monotone voice, and on my side, excited, he got frustrated with me. You know what he said at the end? Pastor Hormos, why are you so excited? Have you read your Bible? He, for him, was, it's in the Bible. It's normal. Why, why do you get excited? This thing has to happen. Jesus does mm. it in the Bible. You see in the book of Acts. So things, uh, healings are happening. The, Jesus appearing to so many Muslims. You know, Peter, sometimes I think if you want to see Jesus these days, you got to be a Muslim. Mm. And Jesus is running a special for Muslims. And in my heart, what I see is this. Jesus is telling his church, which is you and me, he's telling us this. Hey, guys, can't you see I love Muslims? Mm. I've died for them. I, lo I love the world, and including Muslims. I died for the world, and I died for them. But can't you see I'm appearing to them? I'm healing them. Would you join me loving them and sharing the gospel? I've done my part. I feel Jesus says, I've done my part. What else can I do? I died for them on the cross. I love them. I appeared to them. I healed them. What else? It's your turn. You do your part. You share your gospel with them, and they will, they will, they will be saved. You know, Muslims are not all closed, especially mm. Iran. Amazing open heaven in Iran. Uh, that is such an encouraging story. I mean, you just, you're sort of bearing witness to the power of the resurrection life that is at the heart of the gospel and the good news that even though we die, yet we live and we experience that power even in this life as we move forward. So thanks for the incredible testimony that God is indeed on the move in Iran and people's lives are being changed. Thank you. And, you know, if you want to be in touch with us, can I share how yes, people please. can get updates and get testimonies? I write testimonies every month and update and uh, amazing, encourages all of us. If you want to know more about us, the easiest way is just text a word to a number. Just text the word Iran to a number. Instead of putting a phone number, put this number, 74784. 74784. It's just like airplane, 747, and then put 84. And the word you text is Iran, I-R-A-N. And when you do that, I will send you some links to testimonies, a link to our website. You can sign up for a newsletter, whatever God leads you. But let's be in touch and let's work together. Iran is making history. I believe, according to Bible, it's not just my belief, according to Jeremiah 49, 38, where it says, I will set my throne in Elam. Elam is a land completely inside Iran. So according to Jeremiah 49, 38, Iran will be a Christian country. And Dr. Shariat, that is great stuff. We'll definitely follow up with that after the break one more time with the number. for th Thanks for the wonderful testimony here. We'll wrap up our show here for Mornings with Carmen on the 4th of March. And thanks again for the wonderful stories about how God is on the move in Iran. 
Well, I sure hated to jump in on Dr. Sherry yeah. out there at the end. It was up against the break uh, coming up here in just a few seconds. But uh, what a great testimony that he ended the day with and that God really is in the move around our world, starting with Daryl Crouch this morning and about how God is bringing some peace and solace into the midst of all these storms in Tennessee. And then, of course, finishing halfway around the world in Iran and mm-hmm. God is moving there, too. So if you've been listening this morning, I hope it's been an encouraging morning for you to remember that we are part of a kingdom that knows no end. And despite the circumstances in life, we can take solace in that, that our true home awaits. So have a great day, everybody. We'll catch you soon here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.